Psalm 132, this is the latest in the Psalms of Ascent, and it's all about being chosen. It's about choosing and being chosen. We'll talk about this in a minute, but what I'd like to know from all of us first is, how does it feel to be chosen in a way that you appreciate? I was just uh, recently, three weeks ago, chosen to, to be employed by a company, and that felt really good. <laughs> um, to be deemed... Uh, of worth good enough to to do the job excellent did from Raphael hi Raph good morning it feels special yes it does yes it does you feel special right yeah any other thoughts welcome the uh, I think if you're chosen well for me be chosen for two things. One is for something we've done, and that makes us feel recognized, or makes me feel recognized uh, for the contribution. But the chosen for something that I haven't done, chosen in a positive manner for something I haven't done, it's just out of the blue. Um, one makes me feel special, but also makes me wonder why, what. Dawn, being chosen by my husband to marry him. Dawn, that is the right answer. So joyful, grateful, accepted, loved, and special. Excellent. 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 Can I say on behalf of my son? Mm -hmm. He's not here at the minute, but he was, um, his friend invited him to go to Legoland with him on Friday for his birthday. And he was so chuffed and he came back and he just kept on going on about how he was the only person there that wasn't a relative. And he felt so, so special for being chosen. So wow. that's a nice thing. Excellent. Anybody else? Oh, Simon, chosen to play for the football team many years ago. Thanks, Michael. Yeah, well, you deserved your place, Simon. You did. You deserved it. That's for sure. <laughs> I remember those days. And in this psalm, we see the theme of choosing and being chosen. And what I hope to do as we look through the psalm, and being longer than the other psalms, we won't be able to dig into all the detail of it. But nonetheless, I hope that we'll see the themes here of how God, how God chooses us. And then what that means. What does that mean, that God chooses us? So first of all, let's have a look at this as, a, an, as doing a bit of an overview of the psalm and then pull out the, the threads that I hope will be uh, meaningful for us. So this psalm is Solomon speaking. This is David's son Solomon is in a sense speaking the psalm. And he first of all reminds the, well, the Lord in a way of what David his father had done. His self-denial swearing an oath to the Lord, making a vow, I'll not enter my house, go to my bed, no sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling for the mighty one of Jacob. So he's talking here about David's ambition to build a temple. Well, a place for the tabernacle, a place for the ark in Jerusalem, but ultimately wanting to build a temple, which we know that David wanted to do. And God said, no, your son will do it. And Solomon did build that temple, but it was David's heart to bring the ark back to, in a sense, where it belonged to be. It was away from Jerusalem. Indeed, it had been lost. There was great cost involved at bringing the ark back to Jerusalem. Uh, what, what was the deadly event? Anybody know what was the deadly event that happened 
bringing the Ark back to Jerusalem? Um, it slipped and uh, I think one or two people tried to grab it and um, uh, died. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uzzah died in the bringing back of the, uh, as part of the journey. So there was cost involved there. And also for David himself, uh, as the Ark approached Jerusalem, David sacrificed a bull and a calf every six steps the procession took. They take six steps, sacrifice a bull and a calf, six more steps, a bull and a calf, six more steps, a bull and a calf. I'm sorry for all of you animal lovers for this situation, but nonetheless, it was, the, at least in the context, it was about a sacrifice of uh, joy that this is this is happening. It really is happening. It was about David doing his best. And also he got in trouble. Who knows why he got in trouble? Was he? With his wife? Yeah. His wife, Garth, yes. His wife. His wife. He got in trouble with his wife, which is far worse than anything else, right? Uh, he uh, and he got in trouble with his wife because of his dancing. Maybe it was some maybe it was some dad dancing, right? That some of us might indulge in. Uh, I don't know. But uh, he was dancing before the Lord with all his might, it says in I think it's second Samuel six or thereabouts. Uh, in his ephod only is in some it's like he's in his underwear sort of dancing in front of everybody and he's the king and his his, his wife sees this is not none too impressed um so there's a lot of you what we see there is we see david's heart he makes mistakes there are costs involved he doesn't get it all right but he sacrifices he wants to do the right thing he's eager for god's honor and glory and uh, he doesn't care what other people think, even, even his wife. He's just, he's overjoyed. And the purpose of all of this is that he wants God to be honored. I want to find a place for the Lord, a dwelling for the mighty one of Jacob. So he wants God's presence to be visibly with Israel. God is with Israel, but he wants the ark to be there to be a visible reminder to Israel that God is with his people. He wants that presence to be uh, tangible in a way. And he considers anything, uh, any cost to be worth it, to bring God's presence to God's people. He mentions Aphratha here, which is another word for Bethlehem, basically, which is, of course, where David is from. And so what, what this psalmist is referring to is that uh, there's a calling here. Uh, on, uh, to do with David's relationship with God that goes back to David's calling when he lived there as a child. And uh, it says, we came upon it in the fields of Jar, that's Jariath Kirim. Um, and the word means like in the woods. And what happened was the, the ark had been lost for a long time. And it was in this area in Jar. And it became proverbial, actually, because if you talk to someone about something being in Jar, the word means in the woods. It's a bit like saying it's, it's lost somewhere. So what? So if you asked somebody in those days, where's the ark? They'd say, it's somewhere in the woods. It wasn't being respected. It wasn't being valued. In other words, the, the presence of God and the power of God and the fact that God had chosen Israel had somehow slipped from their consciousness in the way that it ought to be. And frankly, that happens to me. And maybe it happens to you. That even though we know God loves us and even though we know he cares and he chooses us, we can forget or or we don't forget technically but it doesn't have the same resonance the same significance or the same impact 
on our hearts and our relationship with God and, and the way we live. So we can forget, they forgot the significance of the ark. It was just somewhere in the woods. David said, that's not good enough. We've got to bring it to Jerusalem. And that is indeed what he did. Um, arise, Lord, come to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Uh, arise, Lord. They wanted God's strength with them. This, the phrase, arise, Lord, was the phrase used in Exodus when the ark uh, was taken up each day to guide the people of Israel. So they would chant this in Numbers. I don't have the reference in front of me, but somewhere in Numbers. They would chant, arise, Lord, and go before your people. Your strength is with us, as they made their pilgrimage through the, the, uh, the wilderness. So that's, that's sort of the background here. Now, you'll notice that there's a reminder. Well, verse 10, he says, For the sake of your servant David, do not reject your anointed one. So the anointed one here is Solomon. And what Solomon is saying is, by the way, God, don't forget about me, because you did, really did like my dad, right? He, you really liked him, and you made some promises to him. And including me, in, I, there were some promises for his children, and I'm his son, and so please don't forget me, basically is what he's saying. The Lord swore an oath to David, my dad, uh, one of your own descendants I'll place on your throne. Well, that's me, you know, Solomon. If your sons keep my covenant statutes I teach them, then your sons will sit on your throne forever and ever. And so he's kind of reminding God, you made that promise, please hold to it. You chose my father, I'm kind of chosen too. So let's make sure this kind of works out. Of course, there's deep irony here in that neither Solomon nor his almost any of his descendants uh, came anywhere close to keeping the covenant and keeping the statutes. Uh, very few of them did, sadly. And it's remarkable how God's choosing of David meant that God treated David's descendants and his promises to David with such patience. He was so patient. David died in 971 uh, BC um, and the descendants of David by and large were not very faithful and did not keep these, these uh, instructions. But it took 386 years before the final curtain fell on David's dynasty. Zedekiah was the last one of his descendants to be king when uh, the enemies attacked and invaded, and Zedekiah uh, had his son slaughtered in front of him by the invaders, and his own, after that, his eyes gouged out. That was in 586 BC. 386 years. That's a tragic end. The thing I would point out is, it took 386 years for it to work through. God was patient. He chose David. He wanted this to work out. Now, I think that's a good reminder to all of us God is very patient with us. Uh, some of us are more conscious of that than others, maybe. But as you go through life, you begin to, as you look back on your life, you see more and more reasons why God should have rejected you. Even though we made that promise, even though we claim to have faith in Christ, and even though we said we'd make Jesus Lord, and we've tried to do that, there are so many mistakes we've all made, so many sins we've committed, so many ways in which we've not kept the right kind of covenant. And as we go through life, prayerfully and reflect on that it helps us to be grateful for the patience of God and his mercy to us and I think that's part of what this psalm is telling us here but not all is lost even though the descendants of, of David don't hold to this their side of the bargain not all is lost because God wants to be with his people and he chose us and he blesses us 
because he says in verse 13, the Lord has chosen Zion, desired it for his dwelling. So we're going to get into that as the main part of the uh, of the lesson here today. But that's by way of sort of overview of the psalm and its themes. So let's pick out three things from this psalm that I hope will be useful for us today. The first is the reminder that God chooses by his own will, his own volition. No one makes him choose you or me. He does so because he, he wants to. You see here in verse 13, he says, The Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling. This is my resting place. Here I will sit enthroned. I have desired it. I mean, you can't, it's clear. He really wants to be with his people. And nothing they can do, in a sense, can stop that. He has chosen. He has decided. It reminds me of the passage in 1 Peter 2, verse 9 which says to the people of, of the new covenant, you are a chosen people. You are a chosen people. Now, I'm, I'm reasonably aware of my sinfulness. Maybe not completely, but I'm aware. I expect you are too. But it does not stop God willingly choosing you and me. You are a chosen person. We as a church are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. What a lovely phrase. You are God's. We are God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I mean, we could stop there and just pray about that for a while. Chosen people, special possession. That's how he views you. That's how he views me when I'm at my best and when I'm at my worst. As a congregation, when we're at our best and, and times when we're at our worst, we are still his chosen people. We are still his special possession or special possessions. He has chosen and he desires to dwell. He, the word desired is twice here. Uh, he has desired it for his dwelling. I have desired it. He's desiring to dwell with you and me. John 14 and verse 23, Jesus said, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. You don't make your home with someone you don't desire to live with, as in you don't choose it. Now, sometimes some of us have been in flats and houses and homes and places where we didn't really want to be, but that was usually because we didn't really want to be that we didn't choose it whereas what god is saying or jesus is saying here is i choose to live in with you the father chooses to live with you we don't have to but we want to we want to move in and be with you we want to bless you we want you to we want you to know of our love we want you to experience our love father son and spirit live in every follower of jesus christ i think that's just amazing that's just mind-boggling, and I think the rest, we're all going to be spending the rest of our lo earthly lives figuring out what that means and getting to experience it in a meaningful way, hopefully more and more. But that's what he wants. He desires to dwell. Where is this place? It's a resting place. It's a resting place, a place of satisfaction. Where do we rest? We like to rest in places that give us satisfaction, that give us enjoyment, that give us peace. Penny and I have a chair we've nicknamed the peace chair 
or the chair of calm. It's one of my grandmother's old chairs that my father gave me. And it sits in our sort of lounge diner and looks out on the garden. And that's where we sit when we just want to read and be at peace. And God says, I look at you that way. I want you and me to share my peace. I want you and me to share this place of satisfaction. Uh, uh, that's how he views us. We have been accepted. We've been accepted. I'm glad Stefan got accepted for his new job. That's really good for him, his family and his bank balance, I'm sure. Uh, there are. It's great to feel accepted. Romans 15 verse 7 says, Accept one another, then, just as Christ accepted you. So the reason we accept one another is not because we, we have to, or because it's the right sort of nice thing to do. We accept each other because Christ accepted us. He accepted you in order to bring praise to God. This is why we accept each other even when we disagree with each other. Even when we have different views, we might have different political views, different views about certain certain church practices. We might have differences of view about uh, certain world leaders. We might have differences of view about social issues and justice issues, about the environment, or about racial issues, for that matter, with the, it being one of the biggest matters um, uh, at hand at the moment. And I think there's still a lot for us all to learn about that. Well, certainly for myself, I feel that. Um, but we, even if we have different views, we accept one another because we've been accepted by Christ. Who am I not to accept? One, another Christian who has been accepted by Christ. So we respect each other because we've been accepted by Christ. God chooses. And he says here, here I will sit enthroned. He sits enthroned in the heart of a Christian. Jesus is Lord. We've made him king. So he's on He's on the throne of our lives. So God chooses, firstly. Then, then God provides. So because, because he chose us, we celebrate that. And then we also enjoy his provision. Secondly, his provision. God provides. In verse 15, I will bless her. He's talking about Zion, but he's talking about that which he has chosen. I will bless her with abundant provisions. Her poor I will satisfy with food. I will clothe her priests with salvation and her faithful people will ever sing for joy. I'll bless her. I'll satisfy the poor with food. I'll clothe and you and there'll be songs of joy, abundant provision. In other words, I think what this is saying, and this is very encouraging and, and challenging at the same time, I think, which is this. He's saying, he's reminding us of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing i lack nothing i lack no good thing nothing i lack nothing there is nothing i lack now this is encouraging because it's a reassurance that we are we we have everything we need and we have we have everything we need and we and god provides and we can trust him that that's the good side with that but the flip side of that is if god hasn't provided something it must mean we don't need it if we lack nothing, then that's something that maybe we don't need, at least right now. Maybe it's going to teach us something and it's going to help us to grow. But that's what this is saying. We are blessed. We have everything that we need. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I struggle with this. I feel like I lack many things, whether it's personal character issues or whether it's material things. I, I lack a, a full health in the way I'd like it. But then, but then that's this life, isn't it? 
And so we have what we need. Indeed, it says the poor will be satisfied with food. In other words, God is most concerned about the marginalized and those who have greater needs than perhaps some of the rest of us do. There's a, there's the, there's a need for us to tap into the heart of God to give us the heart for those who don't have what they need that we could help them with. I was very touched this week by a book I read. Um, on Wednesday night, I had a an online meeting with some men I don't actually know really, but um, somebody asked me to join in with a meeting they were having and, and share some thoughts uh, from the scriptures. And uh, ch these chaps are in Canada and in uh, the United States. And so we, I had a great time with the uh, the five of them. And one of the chaps there is a chap called Kit, Kit Cummings, who I knew of, but didn't really know. Anyway, he ha is doing an amazing work with prisons in the United States, going into prisons and uh, um, doing a program called the POP program, which is about peace and bringing people from different gangs and rival groups together it, it, to, to create peace. And uh, I won't tell you the whole story now. If you want to read the book, it's a great book, uh, which I forgot the title of. I'll look it, I'll post it later, but it's by Kit Cummings. And the thing that really struck me was just how, how for Kit, as a Christian, he realized that maybe he could make a difference in this area, in prisons. Maybe he could, maybe he couldn't, maybe he could. And he just tried. He had a go at it. And I think for myself and for all of us, not all of us are going to be people that are going to make a difference in a prison, but all of us can make a difference to somebody who's marginalized, somebody who God cares about, who is, in a sense, poor. Who are the poor around me? Who are the poor around you? It might not be materially poor. It could be time poor people. It could be emotionally poor people. Uh, it could be mental health issues. It could be many things. But who, maybe it's your own family. Or maybe it's somebody else. But I think it's right for us to think about that because God provides abundantly and he wants everybody to share in it. And the way that the world is going to share in the abundance of God is at least in part through sharing in our abundance that we share with them. Because God has blessed us so we can bless other people. Abundant. He says, we're clothed with, uh, I'll clothe, the, clothe her priests with salvation. And of course, we understand in the New Covenant that we're all priests. And so Galatians 3, verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor, uh, nor, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You've clothed yourselves with Christ. We've been clothed, clothed with salvation, with him. That's what we've been given. God's provided that for us. That's wonderful. What a wonderful thought that we, that we, get, to, that we get to share in this clothing of righteousness. Do we enjoy that the way we, we can? And therefore we have confidence. We have confidence and we can sing. The faithful people will ever sing for joy. You notice in this these two verses and in verse 14, I will sit enthroned, I will bless her, I will satisfy, I will clothe her. God is providing all the way through here. So we have access to everything we need, which makes us generous. I think that's the key perhaps practical thing for me to take away from this. If God has provided for all of my needs, then I can afford to be generous. Isn't it nice when someone's generous? I had breakfast yesterday with Akin. Many of us will know Akin. 
uh, down at Amici's. Uh, we had a four and a half hour breakfast. So technically it was breakfast, elevenses and lunch. Um, but it was it was lovely. And at the end, uh, Akin left the cafe uh, and I thought, OK, well, I'll pay then. He just walked out the door. Uh, we said goodbye and then just walked out. Like, OK, well, I'll go and pay. Um, and then I thought, before I go and pay, I'll, I'll nip to the toilet. So I nipped to the toilet. When I came out, he'd, he'd realized his mistake that he hadn't paid and came back and paid for both of us. I was very grateful. Honestly, it wasn't a master plan. I, I didn't plan it that way. I just want to make it clear. I didn't go to the toilet just so that he would pay. I, it, um, but I did enjoy the fact that he paid. You know, we when we're grateful for something and we're grateful for each other's friendship, we, we're, we're, we're generous. I was reminded of this by talking to a, a new friend of mine called Eddie, chap in Canada. Uh, he is... He lives in Canada now, but he worked with many churches in the Middle East for a number of years in the 90s and maybe early 2000s. And uh, he knows the church in Beirut very well, knows the people there very well. And of course, they had the big explosion recently. Tragic. And he's been involved with helping sort out uh, re um, materials for relieving the suffering there. Uh, but one of the things he wanted to do was to uh, join them for a church service. Well, Eddie... Uh, starts work every day at 4.30 a.m. So he has a very early start to his day. He's doing COVID testing over there. He starts at 4.30 a.m. Their church service in Beirut that Sunday, uh, because of the time difference, it was 1.30 in the morning for Eddie in Canada. So he just didn't go to bed. He stayed up. He stayed up all evening and the early part of the night. And at 1.30 he joined the... Uh, the, the the online church service for Beirut surprised them. They didn't know he was going to be there. So he just surprised them with his presence. And that really encouraged them. Just joined them for the church service. After that, um, had a cup of coffee, got in his car and went off to work. And I thought, that's that's real love, isn't it? And it's real love to stay up all night. He didn't get any, any sleep that night. And, and do something that didn't bring him any material benefit, but was was a great encouragement to the church there in Beirut. He was, I asked him about, he's going through a quite difficult time in life at the moment with various challenges and, and he could very well be forgiven for not feeling like he had the energy to do this, but he just felt like I've been given so much by God. I've got to give something back. And I think this is the right kind of motivation. The right kind of motivation for a Christian to be generous is not because we have to be, but because God has been generous with us. And if we're not feeling generous, the answer is not to make ourselves be generous. If we're not feeling generous to the people around us, then the answer is to reflect on the generosity of God and spend time with God and reflect on his generosity. So he provides, he chooses and he provides. And then finally, and then we'll take communion. Um, <laughs> God confirms that he is our champion. In verse 17, here I will make a horn grow for David. And set up a lamp for my anointed one. I will clothe his enemies with shame, but his head will be adorned with a radiant crown. So what is going on here? Well, of course, the horn, the, the word horn represents strength and victory in that uh, culture. It's a growing horn. In other words, uh, the strength and influence of this person is growing. He's talking about David, but he's also saying my anointed one. Now, of course, in some sense, that should be Solomon. But in the bigger picture, it's actually the Messiah who is to come, and which we now recognize as Jesus. And so this is part of what he's saying here is that 
Jesus's horn, his strength, his influence will grow and grow and grow. And I'll set up a lamp for my anointed one, the light there for the Messiah. And so he's talking here about God's vision for all of humankind and all of his creation, that healing is coming, that light is coming, that the kingdom is coming, because that's the, effectively what he's talking about here. The kingdom will grow and continue to grow like yeast. And there is victory. I'll clothe his enemies with shame. His head will have a radiant crown. That's about the ultimate victory. So the enemies of God will be defeated. And what are those enemies? The chief enemies are death and sin. The grave has been, its power has been destroyed by what Jesus did on the cross. We no longer have any fear of sin. We no longer have any fear of death. Death is the doorway to what we've always dreamed for. It's a wonderful promise that we have of God, that we have this because, because he chose us to experience it. So we don't need to live in fear. There are lots of things to be afraid of right now. There's the consequences on the economy of COVID-19 and everything to do with that. There are many other things in our personal lives that can cause us to fear. And the feeling of fear is not a problem as such. It's not like that's a sin. But we don't have to live in fear. Jesus slept in the boat during the storm. He knew it was going to get worked out. He knew, he knew that God was, God had things in hand and there was a good ending in sight. So let's wrap this up. Having talked about the fact that God chooses us and how delightful that is, the fact that God provides and the fact that God confirms his love for us by the victory over sin and death. Let's think about a couple of things. Ephesians 2 verse 13. Now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. David made sacrifices to get the ark near to him and if you like the people of Israel. Solomon wanted that nearness to, con to continue but he was not prepared to live by the, what it would mean that would make that a reality. But we, we have the power of Christ in us. We had the presence of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in us. And we had the very great and sure promises of, of God that he will always be with us. We once were far away. We have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In Hebrews 2, you made them a little lower than the angels, talking about us. You crowned them with glory and honor. You and I have been crowned with God's glory and honor he, because we are made in his image and we are cherished. We do see Jesus in verse 9 of Hebrews 2, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Jesus is crowned. He is the one who is crowned. Of course, on earth, what was his crown like? His crown on earth was a crown of thorns. But he wore the thorn of crowns, the crown of thorns. He wore the crown of thorns with honor because he knew it would bring us the ultimate crown of being with him forever. And now he is crowned the king of heaven as he should be. So as we take bread and wine, we're celebrating the fact that God has given us all the glories that belong, to, that belong to Jesus, that he has chosen us, that he provides for us, that he's taking us home to be with him forever. And in the meantime, we have nothing 
We need to fear. We don't need to be controlled by our fear. We need God. We need his presence. We have his presence, but we need to enjoy it. It's up to us to, to spend the time to devote ourselves to knowing God, to spending time with him, using spiritual disciplines to draw close to him since he's drawn close to us. And we do it because we're loved, not because we have to, not because it's a duty, but because Jesus loves us that much. Let's pray together before we take bread and wine.